All right, so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, in the seat underneath you or in front of you. Uh, do grab those. If you don't have a Bible, that's your Bible to keep. It is our gift to you. So we are in Luke chapter 18. We're going, before we jump into reading the passage, we're going to start off with a little assignment. Now, uh, for some of you, you may notice that there is a little index card on the seat where you're sitting, or if it's not on the seat, there is one in the seat pocket in front of you. There should hopefully be a pen around you. Here's my, the assignment for today. Grab that index card. We're going to take some time to think and to write. Um, my, my task today is to talk about prayer. And so here's what we're going to be doing. Take a moment to reflect on a prayer that you've been praying. But here's the criteria. It's a prayer that God hasn't answered yet. A prayer that you've been praying way longer than you expected to pray. Something that you'd hoped that God would have answered by now. And if you haven't been praying about it, maybe there's a circumstance in your life that you, you feel uncomfortable with. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's an addiction that's caught in, in one of, uh, it's caught up with one of your family members. Maybe it's a job situation, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a child or a, or a parent or a relative. You're hoping that they will come to know Jesus at some point. Whatever it is, write it on that, uh, write it on that index card, and we'll come back in a moment. All right, as you're writing, feel free to uh, uh, complete, your, complete your thought. As you're writing, I wanna take a moment to remind you of a truth that we're gonna be talking about this morning. And the truth is this, sometimes you may not feel like it, even especially as you're writing those words out on the card, you may be questioning this, but here's the truth of what we're gonna hear from, uh, of the passage we're gonna read. And that's this. Your unanswered prayer is not an unheard prayer. Your unanswered prayer is not an unheard prayer. Whatever your circumstance is, whatever your prayer is, whatever your cry has been, the truth is that there is a God who hears, who sees who acknowledges it. And some of you have been praying for a reprieve. Some of you have been praying for wisdom. You've been praying, God changed my situation, and he hasn't. And in, that, in the time of waiting, in the time of praying, discouragement has set in, and, and you're wondering, is God even hearing me? Is God even paying attention? And my answer to you is, he hears you. He sees you. He acknowledges you. So we're in the Gospel of Luke, and if you've been following with us, we've been talking through some of the parables that Jesus uh, shares that Luke records. 
And so we're in chapter 18, and in chapter 18, Jesus is nearing the end of his journey to Jerusalem. He's making his way, and if you know Jesus' story, the, Jerusalem is where he will meet his, where he'll meet the cross, where he'll be crucified, where he'll be, where, uh, where he'll pay, in, in a way, the atonement of our sins, where he'll, where he'll be crucified for our sins. But as he's making his way to Jerusalem, he is met by some Pharisees. And in this particular instance, the Pharisees have a question for him. And the question simply is this. Jesus, for the last three years or so, you've been walking, you've been teaching, you've you've been talking a lot about this kingdom of God. Well, when is this kingdom of God coming? When does this kingdom arrive? And the Pharisees, they're not asking out of the best of intentions. They're looking to trap him in some some way. Because you see, if this was a political kingdom, it has implications on how they would deal with Rome. If it was a spiritual kingdom, there's implications on how they would deal with, with the religious authorities. If it's a social kingdom, it's upheaval and the change of culture and everything. And so they want to know, Jesus, when is this kingdom that you talk about, when will it come? And this is Jesus' answer in chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Um, The kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, the kingdom is already here. The religious leaders, they are not able to recognize this. They're, they're recognize that they're blind to what the reality of their situation truly is. But then there is a further question. Jesus will unpack it. Even as he's asked that question, he's unpacking it. He's unpacking what the kingdom of God looks like. And he's also saying, you see, it's already here, but there is a reality that is to be fulfilled. And that is the son of man coming back. And so as he's talking about that, if, you don't, if, you, if you're not tracking with me, I would recommend that as, when, you're, when you leave here today, take some time to study Luke chapter 17. And in Luke 17, he's unpacking this for us. And he's talking about, in, in verse 26, he says, just as he's talking about the Son of Man returning, and he's saying the, the culture around it will be just as it was in the days of Noah. And then in verse 28, it'll be just like the days of Lot. Again, just to unpack it, it's basically he's telling people that know the story of Noah, know the story of Lot. He's saying there was evil in that time, and God had to judge it. And when the Son of Man comes, he's not coming back peacefully. Instead, he's coming back with judgment. He's coming back to pay off debts. He's coming back to set things right. And Jesus is saying, Let's, as you, as my followers, you need to prepare for that time. Because you see, as in just a few days, and in a few moments, I'll be gone, and things are going to change for you. The disciples are going to encounter trials. They're going to encounter injustice. They're going to encounter tribulation. They're going to encounter trials that like they have never encountered before. Some of them are going to be put in jail. Some of them are going to be persecuted. Some of them are going to give up their own lives for this. And he's saying, you have to be ready. And so that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. So 18, verse 1, this is what Jesus says, or this is what Luke records. 
And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. One thing I love about this parable that we're going to read, read in a second is that Jesus gives us, or Luke gives us the, the message of the parable before the parable itself. I wish all of life was like that. Give me, give me the message. Give me what I ought to learn before I have to encounter the situation itself. But Luke is recording, he's telling them this parable for one reason, and that is that they would pray and not lose heart. What is prayer? A lot of us are Christ followers, and some of us have been Christ followers for many years now. Some of us are relatively new. Some of us don't have have much of an idea of what prayer is. How would you define prayer? Tim Keller writes about prayer as the continuing conversation that God started through his word. God spoke to us first. God discloses to us who he is, how he works, who we are, and now we continue the conversation back to him. So often we limit our prayers to, God, here's my day. Here's what I encounter. Here's what I hope for the next day. Here's where I want you to move. Have, have a good night. Help me to have a good night's rest. I'll see you tomorrow morning. So often we reduce it to a list of things we want God to do. When in reality, prayer is a conversation that ha- goes back and forth, a conversation between us and God. God speaking to us through his word. God speaking to us through people. God speaking to us in a variety of ways. Prayer is a conversation. It's not an optional activity for the Christ follower. It's not something that you turn to as a last resort. Suddenly you find yourself about to lose a job or a loved one is sick and now you turn to prayer. That's not how we treat prayer. But instead, it is a daily act of obedience. It's a daily act of submission to God. It's a daily act of listening to God. It's a daily act. It's a discipline that we put ourselves through. And so Jesus is essentially saying, the the hard times are coming. And when they do, if you're going to stand, you're going to stand through prayer. And when you pray, don't lose heart. In other words, persevere, be strong, hold on. It'll get tough, but keep praying. Keep praying. Let's continue into the parable. Luke chapter 18, verses 2 through 5. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In Jesus' parable, there are two characters that we're going to meet. One who has a legal problem and the other who has a moral problem. Well, let's take a look at the judge first. Jesus describes the judge in two ways. Two things are known about this judge. One, that he does not fear God. And second, that he does not respect people. Two of the basic criteria needed for a judge in his position, especially in that culture, especially in a culture where the laws come from God himself. 
So this judge who is appointed to enforce and to instruct, uh, instruct the people in the law is doing his job when he does not respect God himself, does not fear God. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus responds, or Jesus responds with, love your God and love your neighbor. Two things that he does not do. The judge, we, uh, then now we'll encounter the widow, but right, before, but right before we get there, the judge's actions are so appalling. He has a contempt for God. He has a contempt for people. His, the case that you bring to him, he has no care about. And now here comes the widow, and, there's the, and the widow, her situation, you can understand, her husband has passed away, and now here she's in a situation in legal battle with an adversary. We don't know what the situation is. We don't know what her family is. All we know is she is alone. She has no lawyer re representing her. There is no one coming with her and saying, I will speak her case. Instead, she comes by herself, something that was unusual for that time. She comes to the judge, and her situation is unique because in the Jewish culture, especially of that time, the widow enjoyed a special care from the, from the community around her because God instructs his people saying, you shall watch for the orphan and the widow. You shall protect them. You shall and make sure that they're not taken advantage of. You shall speak on their behalf. You shall watch out for them. God has a special place for the widow, and so he instructs his people, it is your job to keep her safe. And the one job that the judge has, he is not doing it. He's incapable because of who he is. He, say, he says, I don't, I don't care. And so when this widow brings his, her case to him, he refuses. Sends her packing, sends her away. But Jesus talks about the widow who took matters into her own hands. He talks about a, this, this woman who would meet the judge persistently. He, she was there in the morning when he, she, he got his coffee. He was there when he's grabbing his gavel and putting on his robe. He was there. She was there in the courtroom. She was there when he got out of work. She was there following him home. She was there knocking on his door at night. She was there. She was persistent. She would not let go. She would not let him rest. She would speak out. She, was, she had become a problem to the judge. And now the judge's response is simply this. He says, because this widow causes trouble for me, I will give her justice so that she may not in the end give me a black eye by her coming. You see, our English translations often lose that, that, the severity of that moment because in the Greek, what it's translating to is she was aggressive. She was not going to take no for an answer. And the judge is saying, she's going to give me a black eye. Well, she may not have given him a black eye in the physical sense. His reputation was taken ahead. His job was in jeopardy. He's, he's looking at her and saying, she has become a nuisance to me. She's become a problem to me, and I have to get rid of her in one way or the other. And his solution to getting rid of her is, I'll judge, judge, I'll judge in her favor. 
Now let's consider what the judge is doing. It's not because he had changed his mind. It's not that his character improved in this moment. He still does not care about people. It's not that love moved this judge. It's not that he had compassion over this woman. It was not wisdom. But instead, the judge himself describes himself. He says, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But because she's become a problem, I'm going to solve this. It was self-preservation that led this judge. And Jesus is laying out this picture for a reason. Well, let's move on to verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. You see, sometimes we often have trouble with this parable because sometimes we interpret it incorrectly. Sometimes we put ourselves in the place of the widow, and that's great. But where we go wrong is sometimes we put God in the place of the judge. And our thought coming into this passage is, if only I badger God, if only I knock on his door enough, if only I pray hard enough, if only I'm persistent and aggressive enough, he will answer me. And he will give me what I want. That's not Jesus' intent at all. It's not a parallel. It's not a one-to-one comparison. Instead, what it is, it's a contrast. What what Jesus is doing here is saying, look at the judge. Let's talk about his character. He is unrighteous, does not fear God, does not respect people, does not, he is unjust. And if this man, this man of such terrible character can do what the lady was asking, what what the woman was asking for, how much more can can, can God, your father, do for you? It's a contrast. He's looking at the lower and appealing to the greater. He's saying, if someone as terrible as this person can do this, then how much more will your father do for you? It's a contrast. It's not a comparison between equals. Jesus is not making the point that you keep nagging God and badgering him until he responds to you. Instead, he's contrasting the nature of the unjust judge to a just, loving God. He is comparing the immoral nature of this judge to the perfectly moral nature of God himself. He's saying, learn a lesson from this judge. Even he rendered a decision that was good. Even he was capable of doing something right. And if he's able to do that, what will God do for you? Essentially, what Jesus is doing here is saying, trust in God's character. Trust that God, when you you turn to him in prayer, when you turn to him with your appeal, he is able, he is capable of answering your prayer. And as a matter of fact, he will do it speedily. He will give you justice. When you cry out, when you're in the midst of your chaos and you cry out, he will answer you. That's Jesus's promise to you and to me. But now you're sitting here wondering, and maybe you're asking the same question I ask when I, when I read this parable. All right, Jesus, that's your word. That's your promise. That's great. I love it. I, that's what I need. 
But you and I are no, no strangers to the injustice all around us. Every new cycle has stories of brokenness and, and pain and chaos all around us. Even our own lives are touched by sickness and, and, and destruction and brokenness in our relationships and in our families. And, and a lot of us, we've been care, taking it to the Lord in prayer. We've been asking him day in, day out, saying, God, you need to address this. We need you to move. We need you. Here's my index card with my, with my request. You need to do this. And often what we encounter is silence. So how is that silence compatible with what Jesus describes as speedy, a quick resolution, a quick justice? What is Jesus talk, talking about? You see, here he's going to connect it to something else. He's going to connect it to how the woman approach this matter. You see, it was not, the woman's success was not in the strength of her argument. It was not in the strength of her legal case. It was not in the strength of her presentation. It was not in the strength of or, or the judge or anything. It was instead in her persistence that she got her result. Jesus is telling his disciples, when life knocks you down, stay there. Stay on your knees until God lifts you up. When life knocks you down, stay on your knees until God lifts you up. Because you see, here's the temptation that you and I face. When life does knock us down, when we are met with injustice, when we have that ad adversary, our response is to fight back. Our response is to claw back and, and get our rights. Our response is to get what is owed to us because that's what justice is. Justice is getting back what's owed to us. And so often we'll fight our way. We'll declare, this is my right. This is my right as a human being. This is my right as a Christ follower. This is my right as an American. You name it, you have rights. And so often our response when we're met with injustice is to fight back. And Jesus is saying there is a better way. His response is when you're met with injustice, pray and don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Let's talk about our prayers for a moment. A few things that would describe the prayers of a Christ follower. First, our prayers are in and out of season. Jesus is saying pray continuously, pray persistently, pray and do not lose heart. What he's not saying is that we ought to be people that constantly, repeatedly just pray. He's not saying you quit your jobs and you dedicate your life to prayer. He's not saying that. He's not, because people have interpreted this passage in that way. And people have formed communities and monasteries. And, and not that those things are wrong, but people have interpreted it the wrong way. What he's saying instead is adopt a spirit of prayer. And here's what I mean by that. A spirit of prayer essentially this is that no matter what your circumstance, you are in communion with God. You are talking to him, regardless of whether you're at work, you are talking to him whether you're at home with your children, with your spouse, or you're at home, you're out on the ball field, wherever you may be, you're stuck in traffic, you're still having a conversation with the Almighty. You're still communing with him, you're paying attention, you're meditating on his word, you have a spirit of prayer. And he's saying, be persistent in that. 
Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, he was known for his powerful sermons. But people that knew him well knew him for something different, knew him for his prayers, knew him for how diligent and persistent he was with his prayers. And this is how he talks about the lifestyle of a Christian when it comes to praying. We ought to pray at all times. There are no set-apart hours in the Christian's day or week. We should pray from the morning to midnight at such times as the Spirit moves us. We should pray in all estates, in our poverty, in our wealth, in our health, in our sickness, in the bright days of festival, and in the dark days of dark nights of lamentation. We should pray at the birth, pray at the funeral. We should pray when our soul is glad within us by reason of abundant mercy. And we should pray when our soul, soul draweth nigh unto the gates of death by reason of heaviness. We should pray in all transactions, whether secular or religious. Prayer should sanctify everything. The word of God and prayer should come in over and above the common things of daily life. Pray over a bargain. Pray over going to the shop and coming out again. He's saying, in all things, the Christ follower ought to be in prayer. Prayer ought to define the way we look at life, should be the lens by which we see the world. See, the very reason that Jesus is talking about prayer in this light is because he is revealing a greater truth. Is that every prayer of ours is not going to be answered in the way we think it and in the time we want it. Our prayers are not always going to be answered in the way we want it and in the time we desire it. If we did, if our prayers were answered as soon as they left our mouth, there's no encouragement here. There's no reason for Jesus to say these words. Because there's a bigger reality that's happening. There's something bigger and something broader that God is doing in the waiting. There's something that God is accomplishing in us as we wait on him. Do you take every opportunity to take your matters to Christ? Do we break apart our, our lives into these things belong with God and these things I can do? There's a story of a lady who came to the pastor at Westminster Chapel in, in the early 1900s, and she's, she's having a conversation with her pastor, and she says, Pastor, I take the big things to God, the small things I'll handle. And the pastor looks at her and says, Ma'am, all things, regardless of what you bring, is small to God. All things are small. All prayers are small. Jeremiah 33, verses 2 to 3, this is what he says. Thus says the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. The God who created everything that you see is inviting you personally, saying, call unto me, speak to me, talk to me, be in communion with me. It is through that communion that you will know, that you will understand, you will comprehend the things that you don't know. The next truth about our prayers is our prayers align our wills to God's. Prayer is a surrender of our will 
prayer is a surrender to the will of God and to our cooperation with him to accomplish that will. Imagine with me, if you would, that I'm in a boat. And I'm ready, getting ready to disembark, and I have a line with me that I throw out to the shore. Get it knotted, and now my task is to bring the boat in. So as I start pulling on this rope, what's happening? Is the shore moving towards me or me moving towards the shore? Is the shore moving towards the boat or the boat moving towards the shore? Boat towards the shore. See, that's how our prayers work. In our lives, as we pry out, as we pray to God, we're throwing this line to him. And what's happening in this moment is we have a will, we have a desire, we have plans for our lives. And what we're saying is, God, as we pray, what he is doing is, as we pull in this line, as we tug on this prayer, he is aligning us to him, not the other way around. You see, the shore is where the boat is made secure. And as we pull on this line, we're getting closer to him, not the other way around. Isaiah talks about his thoughts being much greater than our thoughts, his plans being much greater than our plans, his will and our, his purpose for each of us. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your lives. He has a purpose for your relationships. He has a purpose for your jobs, wherever you may be. And his purpose is greater, more abundant than you can ever imagine. And it is in prayer that we align ourselves to him. Prayer is a discipline. And the goal of that discipline is for us to be able to utter the same words as Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. The next reality of our prayer is what we do here on earth mirrors what is happening on earth in prayer, what happens in the heavens in prayer. Paul, when he's talking, when he's writing to the Romans, he writes this. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about Jesus in the next verses. And he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, for you and for me, according to the will of God. And later in the chapter, as he's talking about Jesus, he's writing, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. There is prayer happening in the heavens for you and for me. You see, we often think about our prayers as the ultimate, our mere words as the ultimate, when in reality there is a bigger work that the Holy Spirit, that Christ himself is doing on your behalf. So often our prayers are limited. We can't understand. We can't encapsulate everything that he has for us. And it's Paul saying the Spirit through deep groanings is communicating, is interceding on your behalf. And so as you pray, you are joining with the work that is already happening. When we pray, we do so with confidence. Because of God's word. 
Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, when you pray, know this, that God will answer. God will bring justice. God will do it speedily. God will do it. He's saying that's a promise you can keep that is worth it all. And so he's saying as you pray, you hold your hopes to that promise. If you read scripture over and over again, he's saying promise after promise is for you. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1. Jesus' promise is that the Father will avenge you, will avenge for you, and he will de deliver justice. Whether it's in this lifetime or the next, he will get it done. Essentially this, when life knocks you down, stay there until Christ, until God lifts you up. You see, that second part, the latter part, is a guarantee. The state that you're in right now, the chaos that you're in right now is not your lot, is not where you'll always be because there is an answer to your prayers. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and as, we, as they come back up, let's take a look at those index cards that you wrote just a moment ago. Pull those cards back up. Look at the thing that you've been waiting for, the person that you're praying for, the person that you're interceding on behalf, and look at those requests that you have put on paper and ask God, God, I'm trusting you because it is your word that you will deliver justice. It is your word that our prayers will be answered. It is your word. It is for your glory. See, there's one more statement that Jesus makes at the end of the parable. And it says this, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find a faithful church? Will he find people who are persistent in their faith, who are persistent in their prayers? Or will he find people like the days of Noah? Will he find people as evil as the days of Lot? A church that has lost its ability to trust in Jesus, a, a church that has lost its focus, will he find brokenness or will he find a church that has persisted through it all? Will he find you and me faithful? Take a look at those cards. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Even as we're standing here or even as we're sitting in his presence, Know this, that an unanswered prayer is not an unheard prayer. God sees those requests. God knows those requests. God acknowledges it. And while he may delay a little bit, his answer will come. He's saying, and in the meantime, when you are down, when chaos reigns all around you, stay on your knees. Because there's a time when God will raise us up. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the parable that reminds us of your goodness and your mercy, your love and your righteousness, your justice. But we thank you that we can hang our hats on the fact that you will truly answer. You will truly reveal your justice. You will truly do it in your time. 
And Father, I pray even in our waiting that you would continue to do your work in us, that you would continue to mold us into your image, that you would continue to merge our wills, Lord, that we would know what it is that you want for us. Father, even we, as we pray over these requests, Lord, may we be renewed with this, with this promise that you give us, that you will answer. Lord, I pray your grace over each and every one of us, the prayers that we're praying, the people in our circles, may your grace reign over all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.